Hello and welcome to the SDC Fit Learning Podcast. I'll be your host today. My name's Ben Scott. I'll be joined by Jason Galea. Thanks for joining us on our way to create 1 million positive outcomes for personal training clients by 2030. The podcast is brought to you by at STC Fit Learning, a page created to upskill and educate PTs and gym nerds. Also brought to you by at STC Fit, and that's a place for all your online and in-person personal training needs. If you enjoyed today's episodes, please give us a share and tag on the Instawebs. You can tag at STC Fit, at STC Fit Learning, at Ben Scott SC, and at Jason Galea PC. Hope you enjoy the show. All right, Ben Scott from STC Fit. Thank you very much for for joining us. Um, nine years in the industry now as a powerlifting coach when focusing on body comp and fat loss too. Um, also, you run a an awesome podcast, STC Fit Learning, with your business partner, Jason. Uh, for anyone who hasn't caught that podcast, I highly recommend. Uh, there's 113 episodes. I've just been working my way backwards now. And yeah. before I kick over to you, Ben, I've got, a, I've got something to admit. Um, I now realize where the name Coach's Corner came from. <laughs> yeah i think i stole it from you that's awesome <laughs> i go where did that name come to me it was like subliminal and then i go oh i saw i saw one you did with jamie smith jordan shallow and will crozier and it was called yeah. coach's corner and i'm like oh, i've stolen it straight off him man. <laughs> and now i've got him i've got him here um so i, I find that pretty funny yeah we actually um when we first launched the podcast so we did like 30 episodes back in like 2015 yeah um so when you said like you're working backwards i was like oh good don't like start from episode one and work forwards because they're terrible <laughs> um the audios we just literally recorded on the phone that's like so bad uh anyway like that was originally it was called coach's corner because there was four of us yeah um so we kind of got rid of it and just moved to yeah the podcast and then we're like well if we're going to have heaps of coaches on the chat then we'll bring the name back. And then, yeah, I saw you called it the same thing. I was like, it's hilarious. Good. <laughs> it is a copycat industry, isn't it? That's it. You can't, you can't own anything in, no. in the fitness space. Very true. So mate, coming into the industry, who was your biggest influence? Uh, what, what shaped your training model, your coaching philosophy? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Like you said at the start, they're like nine years in the industry. Um, I've only really been into like powerlifting the last probably three to four years. Um, so I started out as just like a, a gen pop trainer at a good life health club. Um, started off, I was actually selling memberships and Jace, who you mentioned, the co-host on the podcast business partner. Um, he was my PT at the time. I was sort of like Jack of management had done my PT course. I'm like, let's jump over there. So at that time, like, like obviously Facebook was around, but it, there wasn't like a fitness community yet. Um, I hear of like the OGs talking about like forums and all that sort of stuff. We, we never kind of tapped into them. It was just us in the gym and we were pretty competitive and just, we, we just wanted to be the best where we were. Um, so we leveled each other up a lot. And then I think the first time I ever looked outside the gym um, that we were working in was probably two, three years in. Um, I bought a 12 month program off Ben Pekulski. And that was kind of, all right, the, the world of fitness and training is bigger than good life in Point Cook. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like he kind of spun me off to big names. Like 
obviously down the Poliquin Road and then guys like Phil Lurney, Brett Contreras, Brad Schoenfeld, those types of dudes then like started to pick up who they were. Lane Norton was just starting to come out on YouTube and started to, yeah, pay attention to all those big names that are still OGs now. Yeah. Oh, great. There's, there's, there are some big hitters in there for sure. So how would you how would you define how your training model has evolved from when you started out coaching at Good Life um, and training under under Jason and now where you're running a like how many how many clients do you manage online weekly now? Uh, uh, so COVID and, and during COVID. Yeah. So personally, I try and sit around thirty. Yeah. Um, just with the other stuff we do, thirty is a pretty sweet spot for me just in terms of like being able to give enough to them, uh, not overstress myself. So yeah, that's pretty, pretty standard for me now in terms of how it's evolved. Like, like I said, initially I was working with people that really like clean up your diet, move, and you're going to get the outcome you want. Um, as things evolved, we started like the podcast, putting out a bit more content. I actually moved gyms a couple of times uh started to get into strength training myself and my clientele just changed over that period of well as well so i started to get clients who were a little bit more serious clients with more serious goals uh eventually starting to like really niche down into the into the people that i work with now that sort of happened organically it was just like girls who want to be really strong and look great in a bikini at the same time yeah so it's like everything sort of evolved from there and then uh Four years ago now, we started like an in-house mentorship program um, with trainers that worked for us. So at that point, it was like I had to stop going off intuition because I had to teach other people what I did. Um, so that was huge for me. Like we, we were just talking about Pat's course, like actually writing down what your training model is. Yeah. It's like, okay, why did you make that decision? Why is that in there um, in your programming? Why is that in nutrition and stuff? So it's just having to put that out and teach somebody else the strategies and stuff that I was using evolved everything really quickly. Cause sometimes you'd write down stuff and just go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yes. So let's, let's address that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the combination of those two things, the clients and then getting into the education space, probably the biggest influences on like my training model and how it's evolved. And yeah, I guess like moving into a more niche clientele as well. Yeah. So let's, I want to explore that with moving into a niche clientele. I'm going to steal a quote that you've listed on, on your profile. I want to work with those who want to be and look strong as fuck. So you obviously set high expectations and high standards of your clients from the get go. How do you go about communicating these standards to them? And, and people now come to you because they know that you're the guy to come to if they want to be strong, lean and get on stage or, or compete. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I've got a really good friend of mine. Um, she's your typical, like goes to the gym a few times a week, follows a program, has a couple of kids, like just wants to stay in shape, in shape and healthy. And I, I tend to send her my marketing. And then if she sends it back and it's like, that's way too much. I'm like, sweet. We're on, we're on par with where we need to be. So yeah, it's, it's like you get to a point where um, for me, it was, it was just a time where I was like, I had enough, I had too much knowledge to just kind of play in the, in the fat loss space. Um, and I wanted to kind of test it. And I'd, every time you get like that slightly better athlete, you had to learn a little bit more. And I was at a point where it's like, well, naturally my market is growing this way. So I just sort of made the decision that that's where I was going to head. And I think the, the other part of that too was going online. I think online is so noisy that if you don't have a thing 
it's really challenging. Like trying to be a fat loss coach on like, and be online. I just, I feel like it'd be a really challenging thing to do. Um, Cause there's so many of them. So generic. Whereas like, it's really, if you go on my profile, it's like, it's super clear. I train girls between 20 and 35 that want to be strong and lean. There's, there's no questions asked. So if you come to my page and you're not that person, you're probably not going to be interested. Yeah. Um, and if you open up that lead page that says like, if you want to look and be strong as fuck and that offends you, then you're probably not the right person to work with me anyway. Um, and I'm pretty comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great because that's where a lot of young coaches and myself included in this over my journey of, I've been in this industry seven years now, six years. Um, I kind of jump around and go, oh, who's, who's my current target market? And I heard a really good term the other week, niche cycling. And I feel like I'm someone who goes through niche cycling. I'll go after juniors and I'll go after rehab. And I go, you know what? I enjoy just working with junior athletes and return to sports stuff. So that's going to be me. And I'm happy with that. And a lot of young coaches come and ask me the question like, how do I grow a clientele base? Um, what should I do? Should I focus on, on one particular market? What would you say to young coaches in your mentorship program that you run um, when they ask this question? What's, what's the advice you give them there? Yeah, I guess uh, looking at the context of, of like yourself and I don't know about the guys that are watching, whether they're like just PTs, big box sort of thing or in that more strength conditioning sort of realm. If you're my, I guess, attitude is a little bit old school and just that if you're cutting your teeth with everyone, like the first 12 months, even longer, I think just train everyone you can get your hands on. If you can teach someone who hasn't exercised since they were 14 years old, who's now 30 to squat, when you get that person that's strong and can move well, you'll be way better at coaching it. Um, Cause there's, there's more to, to coaching somebody than just like knowing what a squat should look like. It's communication, it's empathy, it's all those things as well. So I think working with the broadest range of people you can initially is really, really valuable. What I did was, I guess my niche evolved by itself um, based on the gym I was working in, uh, the results, who I was getting results with. I plugged into a couple of like competitions um, with the bikini girls it's sort of that all just spun off from there so it was like you got a couple of girls lean and they're also strong and then other people like well, other people in that demographic were like oh what what are you doing i want to find out what that is um but while i was working in the gym i still definitely had like gem pop people i had males i had also like a way broader um spectrum of clients but then moving online it's way more refined now it's probably like I would say 90 to 95% of my clientele fit within that niche. The other option I guess is like, particularly in a, uh, I guess more S and C sort of thing where you don't have access to 4,000 members that you can just pick up and call in a big box gym. Like I did. Um, it's finding, it's funny. Like most people want to work with the idea of like people like them often but I think it's important to have a think about, okay, who do you actually work the best with and who do you get the best results with and what fulfills you the most? Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting. Like I heard um, Thomas Lilly actually say on, a, on his podcast recently about he used to market to powerlifters and then he realized he already had them all in his area. He was like, so I actually had to start marketing to people who were interested in strength training 
to then turn them into powerlifters. And that's, I guess, where I see is like people come to me kind of interested in strength. And it's like, hey, did you know if you competed, like you'd be at least state, if not national level? And they're like, oh, fuck, we weren't even trying yet. It's like, yeah. So it kind of evolves that way. So yeah, just having a think about who you actually enjoy training, who resonates with you from a personality standpoint as well and putting lots of personality into your marketing. Like, like you said, like not everyone's going to respond to if you want to look and be strong as fuck, like that not everyone resonates with that. So putting personality into your content, um, everything you put out, social media, stories, all that stuff. I love what you're saying there. And and it, it does come down to, job satisfaction like train who you want to train um who you're going to enjoy training because it's going to make a massive difference so with your decision to jump online was that a was that a life balance or you just wanted a different environment to being in the gym for so long um and how do you go about balancing life between running a mentorship running a podcast running online coaching living a life and training as well yeah um yeah. So I guess like, how do I manage it? I'll go through the, the online stuff first. Like how I went about that was pretty much, I knew that the hybrid model was where we needed to be. Just knew that that was going to be something that the fitness industry needed. Um, so there was an online element. It was way more effective to do online check-ins than try and get through everything in a session. Then when I was with people, we trained. So it was like an evolution of that. I probably built that over three years, I think that I was playing with that until the point where I was just like, okay, I'm just watching my clients now. They don't actually need me to be here. Mm-hmm. And that when I was like, all right, it's, it's time to make the, the jump now. And alongside that, we had a lot of stuff going on in the back end. So we were launching what's currently called the Academy, um, which is a essentially a mentorship program. We've got three coaches, uh, or actually a total of six coaches in STC fit as well. We're trying one day when COVID goes away to open a facility podcast, all that sort of stuff. So it was like this time in the gym now is, is actually probably holding me back. Yeah. Um, and, uh, something I've been, I guess, teaching our guys a lot of lays when you get to a point where you've got a full book, I think when you're just starting out, it's like, everything you should do should be. And this is like something I learned from sales. You're either trying to, you're either in front of someone or you're trying to be in front of someone to get them to work with you. That's like you live and breathe that until you've got a full book. Once you've got a full book, then it's like, is what I'm doing now creating compound interest? So I think we're going to talk about later in the chat. Like if, if you can actually sustain this as a career for a long period of time, Yeah, yeah. it's starting to think like, okay, how much, to winning an hour face to face with someone how else could i spend that hour could i still service that client and get them a similar or if not the same or better even outcome sometimes um, and then what could i do with that time so the the stc fit mantra um, our vision is one million outcomes by 2030 i can't do that in the gym i gotta be on stuff like this i've got to mentor other guys i've got to get online so i can take more clients and put out more stuff um so the compound interest return is like, I'm actually going back to doing some face-to-face because I believe there's some compound interest in being able to still work tangibly with people and adjust, particularly in powerlifting, like yeah. being able to, to tweak form and all that sort of stuff and just keep your eye on. Um, but yeah, that, that was the shift for me. In terms of like balancing life, we talk about this quite a lot. 
Um, my we I guess went through a phase where um, our position on it was just kind of fuck balance. Like no one's ever been successful with a balanced life. I've kind of changed how I word that now. So I think, I think balance is identifying the areas in your life. You need to direct energy and then being aware of how much energy you need to direct to each one. And those things will change over time. So if I look at my life and think, okay, so I've got, like you said, the, let's just say like the STC fit hat. Um, and then I've got Ben Scott, Ben Scott strength coaching hat. Then I've got relationships, friendships, uh, competitive powerlifting myself, uh, my dog. Like there's a, there's a few things that I need to kind of consider there. So it's like, all right, comp prep comes around. Sweet. 12 weeks out. Director's call. Righto guys. The next 12 weeks I'm doing what I need to do. And outside of that, there's probably not a lot going on because I'm probably going to be in the gym three hours a day. The rest of the time I'm going to want to be asleep. So it's like, like a vertical integration model of life. Yeah, that's it. So it's, and then like, it's like, okay, so once comps recovered, it's like, all right. So the next three to four months is like all business, hundred percent. Let's go. Then there's like, okay, I, I know I need to go away probably every six months. Otherwise I go mental and or burnout. Yeah. And I'm way more effective if I do that. So then it's like, that's in terms of relationship thing. It's like, all right, that happens. And when, when that holiday moment comes around, it's like, that's my focus is those other things in my life. So yeah, I think communication with uh, particularly like intimate relationships, even family and friends though, just so people will have an understanding of like, Hey, I'm doing this mm. and people you work with clients, um, w- which I think we'll talk about later. Uh, just in terms of like, just let your clients know, like, Hey guys, I'm competitive. I'm competing. I might be under a little bit of pressure. If I miss anything, just let me know. Yeah. Like you kind of putting it out there that like, Hey, I'm a human. I might fuck up rather than trying to pretend you're going to have everything on lock, making the people around you aware of where you're at, I think reduces anxiety. Cause I, th- I think where the question comes from and like, how do you, how do you maintain balance? It's like, people end up in a position where they're so overwhelmed and anxious about all this shit that they have to do that that becomes a problem. Yeah. And then so I think, done. yeah. And, then, and it's, it's just a matter of like self-awareness that like, it's actually okay that maybe you're um, if you've just started as a coach, maybe your training does take a backseat for the first three to six months. It's like you got rent to pay. Like mm-hmm. that's your, your workouts might be three to four days a week for an hour instead of, two hours, five days a week. Like that might be something that has to happen. Being conscious of that and making that decision and being self-aware of it makes a huge difference into the anxiety that that'll give you at the end of the week. You're not feeling like a failure because you've actually consciously thought about it and gone, you know what? I actually can't facilitate both of those things right now. Yeah. Yeah. I love all the points you made there. And especially for any young coaches coming to the industry, I think it's critical that they heed this advice from people who've, been through the cycle because it is a vicious cycle being an snc coach really like split shifts you sacrifice yourself before others always food training there's there's plenty going on like i a lot of people i went to school with or uni with they think oh your job sounds bloody awesome and guess what yeah it is awesome i love my job yeah but like all you do is stand around all day and i go yeah but that's 
that's tiring. Yeah. <laughs> like it's and then, and it's then you actually have a, hard work. You have a break and just play PlayStation, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's draining. Like, um, yeah, we are trying to give people skills um, to take control of their own lives, but as well being in mostly in SNC, you're you're working for yourself. Like you're your own business. What steps did you take to develop? STC fit into what it is today and how uh, what's a piece of business advice you'd give give um young coaches yeah so i obviously got your questions before we started and i literally yeah. all i wrote was run a fucking business yeah <laughs> i think literally that if you just remind yourself of that every day for your first like six to 24 months yeah it's just like like you said, a lot of people kind of get into this industry because they like working with people. They like people they like training. They like that side of it. Um, but we forget that like, like you said, we're self-employed. This is, it's like, it's no different to old mate down the road who owns a coffee shop. Like there's bills to pay. There's, there's long-term implications of this stuff. Like it only takes a minute to have a look around and go, all right, so how many, Obviously, I'm, I'm more familiar with the personal training space than specifically S&C. You probably have a better answer to this, but like how many S&C coaches are there that are between like 28 and 40? Yeah, it, it drops off. Yeah, compared it to like comes. 18 and 25, there's heaps and then maybe there's people who have come back like once they've done their career thing. Yeah. It's like that's because oh, I would like to buy a house or a car or get married or have a kid or whatever and I haven't managed anything correctly. I don't have a reliable income. I don't have systems in place that allow me to live a lifestyle that's conducive to being also an adult outside of your job. Um, that at the end of the day means that people leave the industry before maybe they even want to or should um, just because they, they haven't put themselves in good positions yeah it's, it's something that i've noticed a lot with colleagues um that i started with uh, a lot of the guys i started working around or with they're not in the industry anymore they're in sales or they're doing something completely different because they hit that burnout point and they didn't quite set themselves up right from the start and I, i'm going to move into this question is pt snc is working in the health and fitness industry a lifelong career i hope so <laughs> how, how do we make it <laughs> i'm pretty screwed if it's not because i'm like pretty hard committed right now um <laughs> look i think like i said if you run it as a business 100 percent. yeah um then it's going to come down to the individual so like i have an issue with sitting still so like just churning sessions out over and over again wasn't enough for me i wanted to do other stuff yeah so there's always been things for me to learn and grow and challenge and and kind of evolve through i love teaching all of that has always been kind of part of who i am so for me it was just like okay what's the next challenge what's the next thing well obviously like i said we'll obviously open a facility at some point um when the world stops trying to end so there there's always something for me that i guess will, will give us a challenge to do yeah but i think yeah, like I don't want to be that guy, but I've out of nine years, I reckon eight of them I've done six figures. Yeah, it's like, and I'm a cert four. Like, there's not that can happen. That, that it's good. You you set a standard. Like, yeah, and that's not again. It's not here to like blow smoke up my own ass or anything like that. But we've had a lot of trainers come through and do the same thing because they put the systems in place and they run the business. Um, at the end of the day, for me, it's not about 
the money. Like that one million outcomes is number one for me, but it's a pretty good way to keep score. And the, the thing is you can't help anyone if you can't pay rent. Like if you're out of the industry, you're not helping anyone anymore. So I think there needs to be a bit of responsibility. A good way maybe to look at it, it sounds a bit harsh, is just like by not taking care of the business side of things, you're being selfish if your goal is to help people because it will drive drive you out of the industry sooner than you need to if you don't have that stuff kind of sorted out. Uh, absolutely. And I, I've heeded that advice recently um, because I was terrible with the business side of things and, and more the, the back end stuff like keeping check of all my accounts and what's coming in, what's going out. And I just looked at my books and go, what am I doing? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm working for, for this business. It's not me solely. Like, uh, so it's a big thing to take check of. Absolutely. Well, you, you spoke about ongoing education. What's one of the most valuable um, courses or ongoing education seminars that you've done throughout your, throughout your years? Uh, Are any that fly off the top of the head? Interesting. The, the course that changed my trajectory as a coach actually wouldn't want to promote because I don't like it, but it, I spent a lot of money on it and I was forced, I guess, to apply a lot of stuff. So I learned, it's where I learned to squat bench deadlift. And I was like, Hey, this is pretty fucking cool. Like mm-hmm. I get to go to the gym and decide if I'm stronger rather than wake up in the morning. Cause I was obviously in the, in the bodybuilding space before that, or like definitely bunny years, 75 kilos thought I was jacked bodybuilding um, getting up in the morning, looking in the mirror and going like, Oh, my self-worth is based on like how lean I am or how jacked I am or whatever, which I was never really either. So I was definitely drawn to that. Um, to be honest, I think like particularly in the powerlifting space now, what probably sets me apart from a lot of other coaches is having that hypertrophy background. So spending 12 months um, following BPAX programs, which came with videos and all that sort of stuff. So like my eye for detail comes from that, which transitioned over really nicely into looking at the big three. Um, I worked with Jordan shallow for a prep as well and learn a ton off him. And obviously like he's got heaps and heaps of free resources out there as well. Um, good seminars. Phil Lurney came out to Australia years and years ago and he was, he was one to just put a little bit on just like the, the most of the weekend was about nutrition and training, but there was just enough just to be like, you also need to run a business. Like yeah. just remember that. Um, so that was, that was definitely good. Respect him a lot. They're probably the main ones. Really? Yeah. I, and actually, uh, cause, cause I have the book sitting here. Something that's probably undervalued. Um, no offense to you guys in the, in the strength conditioning world. <laughs> um, but I, I think a lot of you, because you work, are lucky enough to work with athletes. It's sort of like expected. If you tell them what to do, they'll do it. Um, we actually did a cert for in mindset coaching, which sounds super woo woo. And I, I, I get it. Um, it's very like fluffy, but just the ability to communicate with people from that point on both reducing stress of like taking on everyone else's shit all week, like doing 50 PT sessions and getting end of the week and just like, I don't want to see another human for three days until I go back to work on Monday. Um, being able to deal with that a lot better, getting clients to take ownership, um, structuring your conversations better. So you're not like a dictator. You're working with people a lot more in terms of coaching um, and getting outcomes for people. That's probably actually number one. Yeah. 
I, I resonate with that. Mate. Language is super important. Um, yeah. In, in any scope, in whoever you're working with, wherever you're coaching, I think language is the key. And I, mindset and, and learning to communicate with people and, and I guess read people and ask the right questions is, is critical. Um, you, you jumped on to my next question there. What's, what's a, a book or an education or what's a book that you would recommend young coaches, trainers to read? What's something that was the, a stone pillar in, in your development? Okay. Um, one that I did really early that just caught me at a really good time was Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, which introduced the 10,000 hour rule, um, which at the time, yeah, I was, I was like, all right, well, if it's, if it's, that means working full time for four years, I'm going to do that in three. So, <laughs> uh, that was kind of my attitude towards that, but it's a really good book. Um, nowadays i guess obviously we're talking about business and stuff a lot and and that's mm. sort of the space i'm working with most coaches now and systems and things like that um dan Priestley has two books um that'll change how you view your marketing side of things which i think is probably one of the business biggest sticking points for a lot of us um one's called key person of interest in the uh, key person of interest uh, of influence, sorry. And then the other one is called uh, Oversubscribed. Oh, I've, so I've written you, that name down for myself. I haven't. Yeah. So you can actually get Key Person of Influence for free if you go on the Dent website and take the Key Person of Influence test. They'll send you the book for free. I got it in like two days or something. Um, really, really good. I think if you're a bit more established, Key Person of Influence, if you're just starting out, the concepts from uh, Oversubscribed are really valuable just to how to apply your systems and stuff as well. Yeah. Awesome. Um, great, great insight there into some ongoing education and some advice. Now let's dive into some of the, the mistakes we've made. <laughs> we've all made plenty of them. Uh, so yeah. what are some ideologies you pertained earlier in your career that have changed or evolved? Um, some key mistakes that you would encourage other young trainers and coaches go out and make these mistakes. And then what's a mistake that you would, say learn from what i did and probably don't go down this road yeah i did i did mention the p word earlier mr like big respects to charles poliquin but some of his methods later on in his career when i was early in my career were a bit interesting particularly on the nutrition side of things um so i think in terms of like the biggest mistakes i made was i was applying that method and i like would have sat here and argued with you for an hour if you told me I was wrong. And now I look back at it now, I'm like mm, 80% of what I was saying. And I, I, A, didn't actually understand I was just regurgitating and B, isn't accurate or necessary. So I think that was the biggest thing for me is like being a young coach thinking I kind of knew. It's like that circle of knowledge thing, like the bigger your circle of knowledge gets, the bigger the external view you have of what you actually don't know. Um, so that's probably the biggest the biggest um, thing I reflect back on, which I try and keep close to myself now is like, I'm totally willing to be wrong about everything at any time. <laughs> like yeah. if someone turns around and says, Hey, that, that method you use for like rep and reserve has actually been shown to be crap. It's like, oh, okay, let's discuss that. Like that's fine. Um, mistakes that I made that I'd encourage other people to make as well. This one was kind of a tough one. Cause my job now is basically to teach people 
how not to make all the mistakes that I did. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest one is like, just try shit, just try different systems, try different programming models, try different marketing strategies, pro- try different resources, try offering different services here and there to your clients, even just like beta test stuff with like particular clients. Um, yeah, just throw it out there and see what sticks. And then over time you'll just build, you, you'll know that worked, that didn't rather than just kind of like staying in this narrow lane. Um, the more mistakes you make in that space, the more you'll actually know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest one. Uh, biggest mistake I made that others can learn from, uh, un- overworking undercharging. Um, would be one of them. So like I said, like awesome. that, I want, I want you to let's dive into this. This is good. Yeah. So I think back in the day, um, I was about, so one session was 50 bucks, two sessions, I think was like 79 and then three sessions a week was like 99. Crazy. Um, yeah. Insane. yeah. Insane. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, I probably did that for three, four years, maybe. Um, like service to be fair, wasn't definitely wasn't what it was now, but it was still like too low. And yeah, I was definitely doing at times 55, 30 minute sessions a week. Mm. And then wondering why, like, like I said, I didn't want a human on the weekend anymore. Um, yeah. And then I remember being the first person in my club to charge 60 bucks for 30 minutes. And everyone was like, you can't fucking do that. That's way too expensive. Um, and then within three months, the whole club, that was the standard rate. Cause it was like, yeah, if, if you actually offer a service, people will, will do that. Um, so that's, that's definitely one of them. I think coming back to what we said earlier, once you've got a full book, just reminding yourself, like, or asking that question of like, does this provide me compounding interest throughout like my, the rest of my career? That's actually a really good book too. I couldn't tell you who wrote it. Um, but I have it on my audible accounts called compounding interest mm-hmm. that goes into considering things like that. Uh, when you're making decisions in business. Um, the other one, which I think is the number one killer of fit fitness professionals, I guess, um, is working in fear of the client. So every, every decision they make is seems to be based off what they think the client might do rather than positioning yourself as the expert and as the authority and as someone who's been hired to deliver an outcome. Um, and and sort of working, yeah, backwards from there. So instead of telling your client something, you, you're sort of asking and you, you're not getting the buy-in, you're not getting the authority and stuff that that you want. Even things like, um, we have a a pretty solid client agreement when people sign up. It's like, if you don't give 24 hours notice, you don't get your session back and you still pay. If I go on holidays, we do makeup sessions before and after and you still pay. Um, like you talked about earlier, like, is this a long-term sustainable career? It's if it is, if you can run a business that way and you can set yourself as, as an authority inside that space. Um, and that just comes with, with confidence and communication, putting like setting expectations that what you expect from the client, what the, what the client can expect from you from the start. And then it's just a prescription mentality from then on out. Like mm-hmm. it's your, you don't imagine ringing like, your physio 
and them saying like, oh, I've only really got 6 p.m. And they're like, oh, nah, I just like I need to do seven. So no, 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 you you make six work because I'm busy and I've got to come. And I think we've all had, if you're a coach, I hope you've had a coach at some point mm-hmm. and just like put yourself in the, in the client shoes yourself sometimes. Like I, where recently my coach put their prices up and they're like, oh, you guys will just need to fill out this form. This is what's going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. I was just like, okay. So there was no, no hesitation whatsoever. I was just like, yeah, sure. Like that's normally what happens. Whereas I think younger PTs don't have the confidence to do that. And they're a little bit scared that a client might leave, um, which is sometimes will actually push clients away. Yeah. And look, it's going to happen. Clients leaving clients, firing you or even you you firing clients. Like, have you ever had to, go about the, the tact of, all right, maybe I'm not the best suited coach to you. And, and how do you go about telling the client that because they don't work with your personality or they're just maybe, it's, you know, it's not going to be a, a good relationship going forward. And you want the best outcome always for this client. So you think, yeah, well, work with this person instead. Yeah, it's funny, both within um, coaching trainers and coaching like clients, the same thing usually happens. Like they know already and they sort of like when that conversation's coming they kind of check out anyway um i have done it a couple of times where i've just gone like this isn't this isn't working um which to be honest both of them actually that i the both times that i've done it they've actually turned around and sort of changed their behavior a little bit um but i've also done it a lot in consults it's probably where i've done it the most just like look i i don't think um, like people coming in that are sort of maybe too new to training for the system that I have. And it's like, I would have to totally rearrange my system to work for you. And to be honest, you're probably better spending the money you would have spent with me with a face-to-face PT right now. Yeah. Like go and do that in six to 12 months. If you want to work together, hit me up and we'll go from there. Um, yeah. Again, it just comes from confidence of knowing who and what you want to work with. I'm actually supposed to, um, Jace in the last couple of weeks, his best of me is like, you're in your sign up a client and you just know they're going to be trouble from day one. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We've all had them. Um, so we're going to ch- chat now about the importance of building a reputation and how you've gone about, like you've touched on a little bit, how you've gone about building a reputation that now you're a coach that you don't even have to step foot in a gym. You get clients coming to you regularly because you have defined a little niche in the market of the health and fitness world for yourself. Like how have you gone about building, building that reputation over the years? Yeah, it's a real interesting one. Hey, like the first note I wrote on this was just like, stop trying to be famous. I, like and I think that is like, it says down, down here, like it was social media and stuff. how that's influenced that I think people are looking for that more than they're actually looking for clients. It's like how many followers you have matters more than how many clients you have. It's like not necessarily like I I don't think I have like I'd kill for a swipe up just so I could put like today's event swipe up. Here's the zoom link people like rather than just like DM. It's like I got a full book of clients at the same time. So it doesn't matter. Do I need to buy another 7,000 followers? So I look legit. I don't know. Like my, like I said, my book's full. Um, in terms of building a reputation, results are number one. Hey, like, I think that's what we forget. Like results at the end of the day, 
are going to dictate what happens in your next three to six months. Like if you, if you're getting results with your current crop, that's going to reflect three to six months from now in who's coming through. Um, for me, I sort of made the choice that like, okay, it's time for us to, to, we decided on the 1 million outcomes by 2030 idea got into that key person of influence book and was like, okay, what are the holes I don't have? And I decided at the start of the year that one of my main goals was to start getting invited to speak elsewhere. Because before that we were just pretty internal. Like, like you said, we've got 130 episodes. We just mm. kind of do our own stuff. We bring people on. We like when we want to, it's never got anything to do with like how big their following is or anything like that. It's just like, Hey, this person's smart. I want to talk to them about this. Um, so that's always been our goal. But it was like, okay, I need to put myself in a position where people are starting to look at me as an authority or us as a brand as an authority to achieve that sort of outcome. That's what where we need to be at. And I felt like we were in a position where we had enough to share that we could, that we could influence enough people and provide enough uh, value to people to put ourselves in that position. So it was like articles started coming out, YouTube videos started coming out. And I think this is probably the fourth uh, I guess like external publication sort of thing that, that I've personally been on in the last, I guess, four months. Mm-hmm. So it's just like that decision to do that has helped, but all of what I did at the start was in the gym. Like if you, I'm back living in Point Cook now actually, but if you go into to Good Life Point Cook, we've had some sort of STC fit influence in there for, nine years, I guess like that we've got still got four, three PTs in there. Everyone knows that name inside that gym. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of like the big dogs sort of say, get, get famous in your hometown first. So get famous in your gym first, like put out content, run seminars. Um, we never ran the podcast to like go viral. It was almost at the, in the beginning, it was a resource for our clients more than anything else. So it's like do that really, really well that'll give you a reputation that you can then take that knowledge skill set and expand it out into maybe the broader community. Yeah. And then we'll touch on the importance of networking because we kind of danced around it there with your podcast. And then you're now getting invited to talk on um, different uh, media streams as well. Um, you can reach out to guys now, such as Will Crozier and Dean McKillop, and go, "Hey, mate, can you come on my podcast? We're going to chat about this." And they just go, "Yes," because you've built that reputation and you've 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 networked over the years. What would you suggest for young coaches in, in terms of networking and the importance of it? Yeah, it's something that I dropped the ball on probably for seven of those nine years. It was just like we just did our own thing which had its own benefits. It meant that we were able to, I guess, maybe miss out on a few of the trends and stuff that happened in the fitness industry and kind of stay in our own lane a little bit and develop a product that we're really happy with now. Um, but the, the flip side of that is like, yeah, we probably, I've got other friends that are in the industry. They're like, Oh, do you know, such and such, you know, such and that. Nah, like I don't know anyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, of, of late, like, rubbing shoulders with guys like that um, is pretty humbling. But I think one of my favorite quotes actually from, because you've got me reflecting back on like the early days, it's actually from BPAC. It's just like, I want to be able to go to sit at any table and bring something worthy. 
So if you just get yourself in a position where like, so like you mentioned Dean and Will, like they're just guys. Yeah. Like, yeah, Will Crozier has the biggest neck in the fucking world <laughs> and he can deadlift 400 kilos. And like, he's just a dude, like comes and hangs out. He stayed here and hung out. And we've like talked about normal shit. Um, and, and Dean and, and the flex guys are all like really, really nice people as well. Like, I think we get in this place where we put people on a, on a pedestal a little bit. So like, just reach out to them. Like, absolutely. Yeah. The ones that will have time, the ones that have time and respond and take time, like you'll be able to form relationships with it. You just can't take it personally. If someone doesn't respond, like it is what it is. I've reached out to guys before that are just like, like it may be that in the kind of next tier. And it's like, yeah, I don't really have time to do that little thing. It's cool. I'll, I'll see you in a few years when you know my name and that, that we can go down that road maybe. Yeah. And, and as you say, you can, bring something valuable to the table of the discussion. They're going to want to go, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to jump in there. Yeah. Actually, one thing I'll add to that. One thing that I, I've noticed that probably accelerated our networking a lot faster than anything else. When you go to stuff, ask questions. Absolutely. I don't know how many seminars I've been to that they get to the end and people go, has anyone got any questions? And the whole audience just sits there and I've presented them. It's like, that's the most fun part of the day as a presenter is like getting into the specifics and answering questions. As you guys can tell, I like to talk. Um, so it's like, yeah, like that, I think set, particularly Jason and I of late, like a few seminars and stuff that we've been to, it's like you get that 15 minutes of one-on-one -on -one time with BPAC mm -hmm. at a workshop with 80 other people because you were the only one that asked eight questions and no one asked any. So I think, yeah, putting yourself out there of like with a willingness to learn and that's what most people that are sort of in an education position want. They want to teach. That's why they're there. Yeah. Well, when, when we started the Pat Davidson mentorship, I went through the whole mentor list. Like I looked at every person's name on there and I go, do I know anyone here? And I identified one name in, in America, Sean Noriega. I'm like, yeah, I've heard of that guy. And then I saw your name. I'm like, Ben Scott, I know that name. Jamie's been on his podcast. I'm like, yeah. oh, I start looking at his podcast and I reached out to you and I said, hey, Ben, would you be interested in coming on this and just having this chat? And, and I was just throwing the line out there and here we are. And it's, 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 been, it's been awesome. Um, uh, big thanks to that. And really valuable answers that you gave us there i'm looking forward to the discussion tomorrow night as well i do have one more question um what does stc what does that stand for i've been trying to work it out the stc part is uh so what we go with formally uh is strength training and composition ah uh it's actually i'm a total bogan um <laughs> and i grew up in the in the car scene with my old man and we used to run a website that was called street commodores so when I first started personal training, I was like, I don't really know what to call this. I, I always knew that I was like, I didn't want to be limited to my name and I didn't want it to be, I didn't want coaching to be about me. Um, so I was like, I didn't want that. So it's like, we had number plates that we had a few different cars and they all started with STC. And I was like, ah, fuck it. I'll just go with STC fit. Um, I love that. <laughs> yeah. We don't tell that story public pretty very often because it's pretty embarrassing, but. Yeah, if anyone asks, it's strength training and composition. <laughs> you know what though? That story that that gets people to resonate with you. They're like, oh yeah, just like your name now has that belief. Like 
that meaning for you. And it's, it's something you'll fight tooth and nail to, to make into one of the biggest health and fitness and your 1 million by 2030 goal is that's awesome. Like I love that you've put a number on it. We're going, we're going to the top. Everyone get out of our way or jump on board and we'll take you with us. Like, yeah, I love it, mate. And um, one more question for me before I throw to the audience, and this is a little selfish one. If you were going to recommend a podcast that I listen to, what's your, what's your go-to app that you tell people to go to? Uh, I've heard there's a couple of guys that run one called STC Fit Learning. No, you're, one uh, of your episodes. One of your episodes. I'm oh, like, an episode yeah. specifically? Yeah. Uh, oh, for coaches? Yeah. I'll just go double check what number it was. It was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, where are we? Uh, how to become an elite coach. So it's episode 110. 110. Excellent. Yeah. And what about an episode? Cause I look, I look at you and I go, this guy trains, uh, you still compete. And I, you just look at your, you look at your body and you go, this guy still trains. Um, a few of us coaches, we, we, we don't look like you. So if, if you're going <laughs> to uh, send us on an episode that uh, was based around training and give us all a kick up the bum, what episode would that be? Okay. Uh, if you're into hypertrophy, the round table we did with Rawdon and Dean yep. um, was Coach's Corner 2, that was. Yeah, correct. Yep. Um... I think I need a bit of a hypertrophy about my life at the moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like, I was pretty quiet in that one. Jace and the boys took care of that. I'm just having a look if we actually, you know, talk about training sometimes. Uh, so episode 89 training variables that matter. Episode 89. All right. I'm, I'm keen to get on top of those. Uh, I look forward to it. Your podcast is great. Um, I'm going to throw out to anyone in the crowd now who might have a question for Ben. Dave, looking at you. I have a question. Um, you mentioned run your own business a bunch of times. Um, but uh, where did you learn how to do that? Was that through like um, self-education? Did you have a mentor? Was it trial and error? Like it's pretty intimidating. Um, yeah, 100%. Um, I didn't. And that, I guess that's kind of why we do what we do now is like the whole concept of like, be what you wish you had when you were starting out. Um, most of us was just like making mistakes. Uh, I had a business coach for a short period of time. Uh, I came from a sales background as well in gyms. It was like very regimented in terms of like contracts and agreements and all of that. So I sort of knew that side of things from there. Um, so it was like decent at sales and, like getting people to buy into that sort of idea. Looking at the landscape now, uh, my advice would be learn from someone who's already done it. That's where I would go. Um, but the trouble with that at the moment is, is our industry in particular, for some reason, it only happens in fitness, I think. It's like we have people that have never achieved the outcome teaching other people how to do it. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, so finding someone who's been in the game for quite a while, who's done it, who's whether it's through trial and error or they have like formal qualifications in business or whatever, um, that have actually put together successful businesses. Like, yeah, the, the biggest warning sign for me is like hashtag six figure business coach. It's like, I'm already out. Um, I, if, if you had, if you had a really successful fitness business, I would already know who you are and you don't have to slide into my DMS and tell me. 
um, that would be how I'm going to pick someone that I want to learn from. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cheers. Yeah, I've got a, definitely got a few questions here. Um, I'll ask two and I'll go to Jacob. Jacob's likely got a question as well. Um, first one is, did you see your niche? Did you see your niche market evolve over time or did you stay relatively headstrong with the type of clients that you wanted to work with when you first came into uh, being a PT? Yeah, so I worked with everybody probably for five years and then my niche evolved naturally over time. Um, and part of that was the gym I moved into. It was just the demographic of the gym matched perfectly with my interest at the time which is like, yeah, I was still interested in body composition, but I'd moved into strength and starting to powerlift myself. Um, and it just kind of evolved from there. Resonated with those people. I found that even like my clients were meeting each other and getting along too. And I was like, okay, there's a little bit of a thing here that like these people are all pretty similar and they all resonate with my message and what I'm about. Um, obviously having that mindset element to it as well. Maybe pushes a few of the guys away. They don't want to talk about mindset too much. They just want their sets and reps and off they go. Um, so I think, yeah, for me, it just evolved. I think it's pretty consistent. I hope. Um, so I tend not to have any, anyone outside of that scope even approach me anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. just like you, you attract the, the right amount of clients or the right client that you want based, based on the niche. <laughs> Uh, your mic just went super crazy then, but I think you said, uh, do you value being a specialist or a generalist? Yeah. So, yes. Oh, there we go. We're back. Um, yeah, I think, are you, are you guys like all S and like maybe just like show of hands, you guys are all S and C space or are you personal trainers as well? I'm PT slash S and C coach. Yes. I think as a personal trainer, um, early on, like I said, work with everybody. There's a, there's a point probably in my second year, I remember I had like a 15 year old athlete, heaps of like fat loss clients, mums, like 20 somethings, two 70 year olds, a 65 year old, all with different goals, all with different shit, um, all with different personalities. And like, I probably learned more from that group of people than I would learn from just training people that want to be good at deadlifting. Um, so I think early days generalist is great and you should have a good understanding across the board of all aspects that you need to know in your space and who you're going to work with. And then from there, get real good at the thing, whatever the thing's going to be. Um, like I'm pretty confident anyone in my niche comes to me. I'm 99.9% .9 confident I'm going to get an outcome for them. So I think, yeah, once you've, you've conquered that, I can tick all of these boxes, then we hone in on that thing that probably you're most passionate about, probably you enjoy the most and that your clients get the most out of. Um, that's when you start to hone down for sure. Yeah, makes sense. I'll, uh, I'll jump in uh, with a question for you. Then I guess, um, so I've listened to a few podcasts and coaches corners and everything and, so from my point of view, it seems like Jason's more that power, uh, the bodybuilding kind of side of it. And now you're more like that powerlifting side of it. Um, 
originally though you were body comp how did you find uh changing your clientele base into that powerlifting side when you um i guess had the one generalist and then um want to get more into powerlifting side now did you find like running your personal socials and that kind of stuff and posting more content powerlifting content created that change generally or did you go about it a different way yeah i think um like if you jump on me, my instagram probably gives you the answer for that it's like most people i train still want to look good um and i think it's interesting like powerlifting is a hard space man like there's I've heard the number be thrown around that like there's a thousand people in Australia that actually compete in powerlifting. So then you kind of throw around that maybe there's a hundred, 200 coaches. Like there's not that many clients per coach. So it's actually quite a hard market to get into um, and hard, definitely hard to dominate in. So for me, it was like, like I said earlier to Jared, just like finding people that were a bit interested in strength training who wanted to look good as well and then turn them into powerlifters like by accident without them sort of even knowing. It's like, Hey, you know, those numbers you just hit for triples. If you did them on comp day, like you'd probably come like on the podium and they're like, Oh, it's like, do you want to do that? Um, so we, we run like super chilled. We don't even call it a novice powerlifting meet. We just call it a lift off. So it's like, it's ran like a powerlifting meet. Like you do three attempts of three lifts and there's a judge. But outside of that, like there's no winner. You're just there for PBs. You don't have to wear soft suits or anything. It's like show up and lift, um, which I think exposes people to like the, the concept of it. So events like that have been really powerful for me. And then taking lots of photos of those as well. We do photo shoots as well. So it's like having girls that show up to a lifting event and then four weeks later do a photo shoot. It's like, oh, being a powerlifter doesn't mean I have to be fat. So it's like, yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit, when people say like powerlifting, it's probably not like a lot of, a lot of people nowadays probably know me as a powerlifting coach. Like, like you said, listening to the podcast, I talk about it a lot. Um, and, and that's sort of the space I like to play in. And I've just kitted out my gym as, a, as my garage as a powerlifting studio, but like, the idea I think of powerlifting has changed and I think it's going to continue to go that way. I think CrossFit changed the map for all of that stuff. Olympic lifting, uh, powerlifting, everyone's kind of done CrossFit either got hurt or was like not working for them anymore, but really liked picking shit up off the ground or squatting it. So it's like, Oh, there's this powerlifting thing that I don't have to also be a gymnast and also be able to run a marathon. That's appealing. Um, and there's more and more power, powerlifting girls that also look great that compete in like bikini shows and stuff like that as well. So there's a cultural shift, I think now that like it used to, I remember going to a nationals meet maybe three, four years ago of powerlifting. It was like, do guys and girls eating like meat pies and chips and shit between attempts. <laughs> Whereas now it's like, you go there and it's like, people have got muscle chef and, like they're, they're tracking macros on comp day now. It's like almost gone crazy the other way. So yeah, there's, there's, I've probably been lucky enough to ride that cultural wave. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Does that answer your question at all? Yeah. No, I, yeah. I kind of get the, uh, the idea of it. And I think it's just putting out, um, 
the results, like you said earlier, uh, results speak for most of it. So putting out the results there and showing them like that lifting um, and what it can create is probably like the biggest takeaway. Yeah. I think I'm lucky too that like selecting a market of um, girls that are in shape and that are strong, like I don't have to be pretty, which, is, which helps. It's like I just share what they do and I don't, it doesn't reflect much really what I do. I like post a little bit of my training just to be like, yeah, I do actually lift weights too. Um, but if you can get into a position where the majority, uh, I put up a post that upset a few people a while back. It's just like, if your coach posts more about their lifting and training than they do about their clients and education, you sponsored an athlete, you didn't hire a coach, um, which not everyone kind of took so well, but look, I, that's the position I take with it. I'd much prefer to post my girls doing well than much more. No one, I don't think there's any like 60 to 70 kilo girls walking around out there that would want to see me squat 240. It's like that doesn't appeal to them in terms of like their outcomes and their goals, like with neck rolls and neck veins and shit. It's like, it's not, it's not what they're looking for. I guess um, stepping off that um, into the physique side a little bit, um, because that's like where my interest, I think more lies. How did you, uh, go about early in your career getting your foot into the door into that physique show realm um, because obviously your gem pop aren't looking for physique shows it's a very niche thing and a lot of people who do want to compete will be looking for a very uh, tried and tr- tr- uh, trusted coach who knows exactly what they're doing and they've done it before um, did you go through like mentorships internships and that kind of realm or did you find a different path in there um, I was really poor when I was early, like an early coach. Like Jared asked me before, like, what courses and stuff are you doing? Like I couldn't afford courses. I'd like slept on a mattress on the floor. Um, so anything free I could get my hands on, I'd, I'd ate up. So like every Lane Norton video, every Phil Lonely podcast, every, anything I could do, I was on that was for free. Um, however, I, I actually only co-coached one person to the stage back then. Um, I'm a mediocre powerlifter and I was a much worse physique athlete. So, um, the credibility thing there was probably a little bit tough. Um, it, it built over time and it was more like body composition. I attracted people that wanted to look good in a bikini, but not necessarily do that. Like six to 12 weeks further of dieting. Um, I probably get more of that now. So I think, yeah, like walking the walk is definitely a part of it. And then, yeah, getting those client outcomes, pursuing them um, and just talking about it all the time, showing you're passionate about it, showing you you understand it. I think that's one benefit of social media that, that maybe we didn't have back then because Jason and I were like, we wanted to train physique athletes. We just didn't get many of them. Jason got more than me, but we just didn't get a lot at the time. Whereas now you've got the opportunity to, to not only just like what you look like in your PT shirt, but also get online and speak about it and show people stuff. And um, yeah, in your stories, in your posts, in, in whatever else, writing articles, all that sort of stuff that you can put out to show people, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Beautiful. I'll jump in if you've uh, got time. I, um, you just, so based on Jake, you just kind of touched on, Jacob's question with using um, social media and Instagram and, and stuff like that. And, you know, you mentioned that you kind of over the last two years have really kind of put on a big emphasis of doing your 
promotions about yourself and the business and and your staff for someone who's relatively quite new to the field of, of Instagram and, and stuff like that and for for, for new coaches uh, and anyone who's trying to build a brand and I suppose build a reputation around the place. You, you mentioned that, you know, all the content that you originally kind of did was for your business and you made a really good point about, you know, being really well known within within uh, the place that you're currently working. How, how would you, have you got any tips about how, of what you found has worked for getting your name out there in terms of circulating you know, who you are and what you kind of do in, instead of just, you know, just posting random branding stuff and, and posting often? Like, is, are there any kind of small tricks of the trade that you found have worked in terms of developing your, um, yeah. your, your knowing, I suppose. So uh, yeah, let's make this one actual, like tangible, go and do this tomorrow sort of thing. Um, if you, so that book key person of influence has in it, um, writing your pitch and you can actually just, if you just search, um, what's your pitch, Dan Priestley, it'll come up with a questionnaire and it'll tell you how to write one. Once you have that, it's basically establishing who you are, what you do, why you do it. The concept is you should be able to explain it to someone in under 30 seconds, 15 seconds, or talk about it for an hour. That's kind of the idea. If, if you're really into the thing that you do, like we're all sitting here and been on here for an hour, just because we like, or well, I like to talk a lot. Sorry, Jared. <laughs> um, so I would start with that. That's going to give you your quote unquote message. So then from there, it's just being about consistent, what your message is and something that we like to do for our, our newer guys is write down 30 problems that your client or that the person inside that pitch that they have. So it's like, say it's like basic stuff. Okay. So you try, you struggle getting your protein in. Here's some protein. Here's some tips to kind of meet your protein. Here's what I do, or here's what works for my clients or whatever. Something super simple like that. Or it could just, it could be like you get knee pain when you squat. Here's some ideas of what it could be. You get someone that watches that applies the intervention. All of a sudden it's like, Oh, Adam said that thing and it worked. He obviously knows what he's talking about. Um, or even just the perception that you're talking about it and it resonates with them um, will put you in a position of authority with them anyway. Um, so that's probably where I would start. And then in terms of like communicating your message, don't please everyone, just please the people that you want to work with. So like me posting that, like we just talked about posting the, you sponsored an athlete, you didn't hire a coach. Like, it's deliberately a little bit cheeky, not necessarily deliberately trying to call anyone out. Like I've got friends that post more about their training than they do their clients. I don't dislike them as people. Um, we can just disagree on that as a, as a strategy, but put out what you think. Don't try and be something to everyone. Just be the thing to the people you want to work with. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. No worries. I have another question. Um, yes. So uh, injuries, unfortunately, happen. It just, it's sort of inevitable. Um, and I was just wondering if you uh, work closely with like in a rehab team in particular or individuals. And uh, also if you could give us any tips um, as to how you would recommend um, like the best ways in working with rehab practitioners to get the best out of it for your clients. Yeah, this is actually super topical right now um, because I've actually just started working with a physio. 
Um, so I've always struggled to find good allied health professionals. Like my whole career, we had a really good osteo that was sort of like, he could get people moving again and they felt great and allowed us to apply the interventions that we were aware of. Um, and I was kind of at a point within my own career that it was like, okay, do I need to go down this rabbit hole and sort of be like a pseudo, especially being in like powerlifting and like niggles are common all the time. Do I want to be a pseudo um, physio and sort of understand anatomy and stuff to that level? It's like my coach is amazing with that. There's a couple of other high level guys that are really, really good at it. And then there's other guys that actually aren't, they just outsource and they're like, if not some of the best in the world, but definitely some of the best in the country. So I was lucky enough. Um, I'll give a shout out to, to Laura Fox from Fox physio out in Seaford. Um, we've been writing articles and stuff together now as well. In terms of finding someone, I think a knowing and being comfortable to refer out is, is huge. So if you have, even if you sort of have a little bit of an idea, it's like, oh, okay, like you've got a bit of a hip pinch when you're squatting, might be a hip stability thing. Let's try this drill. Did that make it any better? Yes or no? Like you might have your own little interventions, but being able to say like, okay, this is beyond me now. Go see someone. Um, and understanding that that's actually a powerful position to be in as a coach, not it doesn't show a weakness. That, like you don't have to know anything or everything, sorry. Um, working with someone... The reason I, I guess, opened that door to work with Laura was I was actually, I did their podcast um, and then I was heading out just for a treatment and she's like, oh, can you send me a program the day before? And I was like, okay, you know what's going on. And then it was like, okay, we need to look at this, consider this in your program. Um, I send clients now. It's like, okay, they need to do this type of exercise. If you're going to, if you're going to do split squats, do them this way. If you're going to load here, do it this way. Think about this in their warm ups, that type of stuff. So that's, that's what I would be looking for in an allied health professional that you're going to partner with. Um, yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's a, it's a super, super valuable thing. It makes life so much easier to have. Like a lot of communication between the coach and the allied health professional. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah, don't be, don't be afraid to question the allied health professional. If they get offended, then probably find another one um, and vice versa. Like be willing for a physio or, or whoever it is, the allied health professional to question you and your programming and come to the table with, with problem solving it. Thank you. No worries. I'm kind of jealous. You're set, like, I was super excited because I got this like thing today. Yours looks better than mine. It's like way more, way more. Yeah, fun. yeah. Gamer, streamer. Yeah. Ah, I see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've might finally made it into like the professional influencer leagues. And then your screen came up. I was like, ah, oh, damn. Uh, I apologize. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, um, I'll jump back in. Um, so I think this one is kind of similar to along the same vein as what Adam was asking. But basically, um, when you are creating content, you said it's a good idea to be like controversial, cheap, that kind of thing. I've sort of been, I've sort of come to notice that like it's good to be, it's good to have polarity in your, in your reputation. So when we talk about reputation before, it's like within like a pond of sharks, you want to, uh, in the ocean, you want to find blue water and you want to be, you want to have polarity against your competition 
Um, so how do you go about trying to find polarity or do you, do you agree with that statement? It's a fine line to walk. Hey, uh, I think there are people right now that are maybe their social media is more to impress other coaches than it is clients. And I don't think that's a very good way to get busy. Um, I like, I totally agree with the idea of polarity. I think sitting on the fence will get you nowhere, but I think faking it and trying to piss people off will come. You'll be able to feel when it's disingenuous. Um, like I've probably even myself put up a couple that was just like, how, how do I stir the pot a little bit today was like the first thought rather than like, this thing's kind of pissing me off. And I need a way to like, I'm just going to vent it on the, on Instagram. Cause that's what we do these days. <laughs> um, was like, okay, so how do I convey that opinion and have it actually mean something to people as well? So I think as long as it's real and it comes from something that you care about and you're passionate about staying measured, but yeah, being really clear in, in, in what you do. Like we got a ton of heat, uh, I guess as a, as a tangible example, we got a ton of heat when the first lockdown came out because we just across all of our social media platforms, all of our coaches, um, we just took a stance of like, you can still get results in COVID. And Pete, we got heaps of pushback because people were like, oh, you shouldn't be putting pressure on people. Like it's a hard time, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, we get it. But it's like, this is, this is a thing that lots of people like to do. And they are being led to believe that they should just go on like some maintenance program for the next six weeks and give up on any chance of becoming a better athlete when they get back to the gym. So we went just like super hard on the other side of that because that's what we believed in. That's what we cared about. So I think, yeah, make sure you're not creating um, polarity just for the sake of it. It's got to come from something that you're actually passionate about that you want to draw a line in and say like, this is how things should be done. Yeah. It's kind of like saying you're in a, if you're in a, if you're in a party and you say, Oh, shit. a group of people are going to say like, yeah, it's, it's shit. And then I've got a bunch of other people being like, no, no, no that's whatever. But the people that agree with you and say, like, yeah, that's one issue. they're the ones that are going to align better with your, your brand and your ideal pub of ideal. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And even the ones that thought you were shit, thought that that's what was shit will be like, fuck do you, David talking about how shit that was. So they're still talking about you. Yeah. And they're still talking about you. Yeah. 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 Um, Question about a few more questions. I can see you've got a library behind you. Um, How important have you seen your own personal self-development benefit your coaching and your business? Yeah. So I'm huge on personal development. Um, One of my favorite lines is your business will only grow as much as you do. Um, so I think, yeah, I actually have like a checklist up here that has, uh, 30 minutes read or listen of personal development, 30 minutes read or listen of business development, and then 30 minutes read or watch, uh, education. And that's kind of a target across most days. It's just kind of invest that time. Um, because I think, yeah, opening up your own personal development will one, give you strategies to work with people as well. Like that we talked about coaching earlier and actually communicating and understand and empathizing and all that with people. Um, but just being able to manage different things more effectively, knowing yourself, knowing what triggers are, 
uh, for you. Like when things piss you off with a client, it's like, why does that piss you off? Are you taking responsibility for things? Like all, all of that stuff I think is really, really powerful. Um, I really like extreme ownership. Um, Jocko Willink is, is a really good one. A good example of that. Like my, my entire audible is probably a 50, 50 split between um, personal development and business development. So yeah, I, I invest in it huge, hugely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same. I've got bulk health development. Um, all right, last question. I promise. Uh, this is one about you and Jace. Uh, how do you see the differences between you and Jason that have created a symbiotic, symbiotic, symbiotic relationship that has created the success of STCC? Yeah, this is, it's, it's interesting because it's probably narrowed now. Um, when we first started working together, Jace had absolutely no business now, but he was a really good trainer. Um, I was a pretty shit trainer, but I understood sales and business far better than he did. Um, and I was probably had more ideas about doing stuff as well. Like putting together, we used to run like muscle camps in the gym. It was like a boot camp, but bodybuilding, uh, like things like that were probably my skill set. but Jace's ability to put the programs together and stuff were, were way better. Um, he's far better in the intellectual side of things than probably I am. But in terms of, yeah, like business and concepts and systems, it's probably my strength. So we work hand in hand. Um, we actually have a third director as well. Who's, who's kind of never spoken about cause he's not on the podcast, which is my old man. Um, and he actually runs all of the back end. and Jason and I would be absolutely useless without him. So like, yeah, like running our finances, tax dealing with like all the, the grants and stuff through this, contracts managing payments and clients and all that sort of stuff he runs all that for us as well so between the three of us um yeah we all kind of connect pretty well i think yeah we've never actually yelled at each other i think we've had maybe two or three semi disagreements and usually they were miscommunications so i think yeah getting along personally pretty well has also helped and and we built up over a long period of time as well like i i don't know if i would like going into opening the gym in particular, it's like, obviously I've known my dad my whole life. Um, but I've like been working with Jace for the best part of 10 years. So it's like, I'm pretty comfortable going into something like that with him. Um, but I think like we we're talking about earlier, like networking and stuff, if you find people you connect with, um, just put things out to do stuff. Like instead of just like, Hey, how are you? Like, maybe do something together, put an article together, jump on an Instagram live together. Just like take that relationship a little bit further um, professionally at least and, and stay in that loop a little bit more, I think is, is maybe a valuable tip as well. If, if you're looking for like someone that'll compliment you, it doesn't necessarily have to be in a business partner. It can be like just lots of people around the place. Awesome. Great questions there again, Dave. I'm, um, I'm going to start contacting you before I do these things and pick your brain because you always come up with some good ones. Ben, thank you very much uh, for giving up your time today, answering our questions. Um, it's, if you change one person's ability to coach or, or, or think and, and develop their business, I think you've made a positive change. I think with this chat, you're going to change a lot of people's um, ability to, to build their business because you've, you've given us some really valuable tips there. Um, I look forward to tomorrow night.
It's gonna yeah, be it should be fun. Yeah. Try and stir Jamie up. Yeah. Talk to him about stability or something. See how we go. <laughs> He's in the background. He can hear you. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining. Um, ben, thank you again. I will chat to you tomorrow. Awesome. Thanks, guys.